News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Welcome to Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. And I'm Alan Gilbreth with DarkOakMedia.com. And I'm Maximilian. Unfortunately, you guys are back in studio today. Yay! Alan, I had to, uh, I had to get directions. <laughs> uh, it's been, what, a month since we've been here last? Oh, I, I, I can tell Max has had a couch back here because, you know, everything was moved down. Yeah, so. he was partying and oh, everything. Man. So if you're... If you can you're, see the creases in the floor. I do. I see little spots and everything. Man. Yeah, if you're, if you're new to a Tool Talk Radio, we've been on the road for the last month. If, yes, you know, we have. It's the, been great. The, uh, the Italian fest mm. anime blues con yeah. the uh, millington air show oh joe you, and i missed oh, it God, i was sick. so sorry you missed that yeah. you, you missed brandon turning into an eight-year-old and yeah. running around the tarmac yelling air pain yeah air pain it was great yeah i i love the air <laughs> show those guys are great they do it they put on a great show so i was really disappointed to meet it but hey i didn't want to spread disease no, and no, sickness no. You everywhere. You are a responsible so. person, and we applaud you for that. Anyway, you can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989, and we invite you to go to the Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and give us a like and check out all the action over there. Well, Alan, well, uh, we, we, we're calling a little bit of an audible. Our buddy Jay Hill, <laughs> the guy, okay, he's... He's missed his last two slots. He was supposed to join us he at the so Italian Fest. Busy right now. He was busy. He texted Bless me this morning. He was supposed yeah. to come in. Uh, he's he's under the weather now. So oh, this whatever. heat. This heat is taking people out. Yeah. So we're gonna at some point get Jay back in the studio and our mm-hmm. buddy uh, Larry Brown. But so we're flying solo today, just the three of us. But Alan, um, it, this I'm excited about. We're introducing a new segment in the second half of the show. And uh, we didn't have a confession uh, this week anyway, so it works out perfectly. But this is going to be called Great Moments in Building History. Mm, Now, Alan, this could could go back to the pyramids. This could be a modern invention. This could be a big event. This could be anything that celebrates the triumph of uh, building technology or just building, you know, any triumph of... uh, Absolutely history. bullheaded. We're going to do this, and we're jumping in. <laughs> we're 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 jumping in hot today, Alan. We're going to talk about the 1893 Chicago World's oh. Fair. You talk about a triumph of architecture, wow. building techniques, even landscaping, mm-hmm. and just celebrating the latest technology. That was a that was really a a pivotal and an important moment in in history. And uh, in so many strange, bizarre, and seemingly unrelated ways. Yeah, and there's a fascinating book about that we're going to talk about as well, too. So uh, um, we're going to jump into that uh, in the second half of the show. Alan, we've got, uh, if time permits, I'm not going to tease what it is because I don't know. But uh, (laughs) at some point, we are going to get to a uh, 30 years of stupid, and uh, I won't tell you what it is. We have a must-have item of the week. And, Alan, uh, you were triggered. Uh, coming oh. into the show, we heard a news a news announcement that there start people are starting to put astroturf down in their lawns yes. out west. Oh. And I don't know if this will turn into a point counterpoint because uh, my daughter lives in in uh, New Mexico, right? And I sort of see their point. I don't okay. care if it turns into one. I just want to u- push the button. Now. He just wants to use the sound effect. So we, Keep that button ready, bud. It's oh. going to be very organic. We don't know where today's going to lead, but it's going to be a rich discussion. But, but I'm already half triggered. So here we go. Absolutely. So it's all coming at you today on Tool Talk Radio. But before we get to any of that. And now, Tool Talk Radio's weekly salute. All right, Max, I hope you got plenty of music on this one. 
Sometimes being mobile is a great thing. One of the most revolutionary inventions in the history of mankind was the mobile phone. Can't argue with that. One of the greatest television shows of all time showcased the operations of a mobile army surgical hospital. I don't know what that one is, Ellen. Mm. Max, the producer, vowed he would never again hire Thrifty Pete's online travel service after he attempted to book a luxury weekend fishing trip out west, only to discover upon arrival that the actual accommodations he'd been given were a general admission pass to a fish concert in Moose Jaw, Wyoming, <laughs> and a top bunk in a 20-passenger mobile home. Occupied by two dozen unwashed hippies. Mm. You got to read the fine print, Max. I've warned mm. you. Mm. you Is know. Moose Jaw even a real place? Yes. Uh, <laughs> if it ain't, we made it up. So I don't even remember that event. That was too. I was too out there he, at that time. He blasted it out. All right, uh, stay clear of those hippies, Max. And of course, on one noteworthy occasion, when Alan Gilbreth was mm. seeking to test the bounds of personal mobility mm. by attempting to jump the Snake River Canyon in a homemade <laughs> Iron Man costume, <laughs> <laughs> he was distressed. Uh, over to a good times. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was distressed to find moments after liftoff that the hand and boot propulsion boosters were actually too powerful. And instead of launching him in a graceful arc over the canyon, shot him two miles straight up in the sky and right into the flight path of a passing private jet, mm. onto which Alan was miraculously able to grab onto the top of the front wing and climb on. And even more incredibly, the lone passenger on the jet was none other than the legendary William Shatner, whom, upon seeing Alan, screamed at the pilot to make an emergency landing and then fainted in shock as the entire scenario was too horrifyingly reminiscent of this classic Twilight Zone episode, <laughs> Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And once they had all landed safely, left mm. Alan in the unenviable, yet not entirely unfamiliar position of having to escort a science fiction actor to the emergency room while dressed in a superhero costume. It's happened before. I mean, Alan, that's a it's Saturday night at Dragon Con for it you. It is. It is. Yes, there is no denying that we are a mobile people constantly on the move. And as such, throughout our history, as we've discovered new sources of energy to power our inventions, we have naturally worked to develop energy sources that are bo both robust and mobile. So today, my friends, we give you the battery. Dun, now, Alan, dun, dun. I didn't do any research, and I specifically didn't do any research. <laughs> well, partly I was too intrigued with your adventure with William Shatner, but the other thing was... So, so was he. But, by the way, know. I had enough music. Yeah. But the reason is, Alan, I thought today would be an ideal opportunity to talk about batteries past, present, and future. And so, wow. Yeah. And, and this is, is right in your wheelhouse. Right there. Yeah. And it's something that we discuss a lot. And, and, and full disclosure, I've even come on board. I was, I was brought kicking and screaming into the 21st century getting uh, battery-powered hand tools. You remember, Alan, and now I have to admit, I use them every day, literally every day. Constantly. And you've yes. converted me, sir. I hate to admit it, but let's talk about batteries, past, present, and future. I got I got a question for you to tee it off, Alan. Okay. So when would you say, I guess, um, when did the idea of storing electrical energy first come about? Because, I mean, we've, we've heard of, like, potato batteries. We've heard of chemicals causing like even uh max brought us a story of the the Baghdad battery that might have been a thing right. 
a while ago. But when was it realistically okay, well, it's, thought right, about? Do you want to do you want to change the question to when did we begin storing power? Whatever you want, however or when you did we start fit. storing electrical power? Well, I'm more I'm kind of curious because about we've the been storing part. power, yeah, for honestly thousands of years. Okay, well let's talk of, about electrical power then. Well, I think we actually have to start with just plain power, and then we'll then we'll take a leap of about four thousand years. Okay, of the ability to store work or store power can be as simple as taking a brick and putting it on top of three other bricks, and when you want to crack a walnut, knock the top brick off. Okay. Because believe it or not, the act of setting the brick up there stored the energy that you are going to release by knocking the brick off, and when it hits the walnut, it'll crack the walnut. Now, that sounds like a philosophical discussion. No, it is. It's but maybe it's a mindset. It, it okay. is. Well, it is a simple idea behind how to store energy because it, the next thing we get to is a clock. So, wait a minute. So, you're talking about the brick. It's latent potentiality. Yes. There's a word I love using. Yes. There you go. Was stored in the sense. I still think that's we're getting philosophical, but go ahead, Alan. All right. So, well, okay. no, we're not because that simple idea brings us to things like water clocks. Mm, okay. Where you put X amount of water in a vessel, you have a tiny little opening, and that consistent drip becomes both a timer and the ability to do work. Hmm. Okay, go ahead. I'm thinking about a lot of things, Alan. All right. Evaporation, well, input, whatever. So, all, all of these things have something to do with it. All right, we'll come, we'll jump forward a little more and let's go to Holland. Okay. Because they got a nice sea breeze. Right. So somebody went, you know, these birds keep flapping around. They can hang in the air and all that kind of stuff. What if I built some wings on top of my, oh, I don't know, grain grinders? Yeah. Instead of having to use the mule to do the work, okay. I can use the air to do the work. Okay. And thus we have windmills. All right. So as we keep coming forward, you see people are trying to store the ability to do work. All right. Now, you throw in something like the Baghdad battery, which was basically a ceramic pot, a little tube of copper, and a little rod of iron. Now, in fairness, we don't know that it was a battery. Some well, people have speculated, right? I mean, well, it's not 100%. Right, it's a vessel. Right. It's two different types of metal with reactionary points to an acid. It could have been some quicker way to make wine. We don't know. No. I mean, <laughs> no. Okay. Because if nothing else, this was the practical joke of getting your cousin to lick the 9-volt battery. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I fully put practical jokes way up there with, you know, humans did not develop a sense of humor in the last 100 years. Right. We've been, you know, Og, go pet the tiger. It'll be funny. Sure. We never yeah. liked Og anyway. Right. You know, kind of jokes. So... Here we have a Baghdad battery, and here we have something that if you pour some lemon juice in it or some orange juice, it's not a great battery, but it does produce electricity, and it produces, if nothing else, our ancestors were very patient. Yeah. Because, because of the weak electrical field, it was good enough for electroplating. Mm, okay. So if you wanted a shiny shield right. and you could wait a week... Come back in a week and, you know, we're going to stick it over here in the big vatch of grape juice. And when it comes out, it's going to be all shiny. Don't worry about how it happened. I got a deal made with the gods. Okay. And so now we've got electricity showing up in early human history, but 
thousands of years ago. Right. And it was actually strong enough to do work. Right. Okay. So now let's fast forward to pirate ships and sailing ships all over the world. Okay. And this is only a two-hour show. I know. Are we ever going to get jumping. electricity? We're, well, okay. we're at electricity now. Okay. And there was something that was basically a child's toy that everybody called the devil's jar. Yeah. And it was a glass jar with a foil liner in it, a little piece of metal in the top, and a chain in it. And if you rubbed it with, like, rabbit fur, it would charge it with static electricity. See, I, wonder when, I wondered when we were going to get to static electricity. Because isn't lightning just an exaggerated right. form of static electricity? Welcome, welcome to Ben Franklin, who right. was playing with these toys and sitting in a dark room watching these things make little tiny arcs. And he is the most famous person to make the correlation that, you know, that looks like little bitty tiny lightning. Right. Yeah. And we can't imagine this today, but let's go back to Benjamin's village. Right. Every time there was a thunderstorm, and we live in Memphis. So for those of you living around the world, if you're in a thunderstorm-induced area, can you imagine the absolute terror of knowing Something in your town was going to get burned down every single storm. Sure, man. Libraries were lost. Hospitals were lost. People's homes burned up. Well, here's old... Trees exploded. Here's old Benjamin sitting in the dark playing with these kitty toys going, you know, I think this stuff is related. Right. And if we can bottle it, and here's an... And, you know, here's the big key. Here's a rod of metal that seems to make it emanate or jump to it. Right. So then Benjamin does a variety of famous experiments. I don't think he ever actually tied a key to a kite and stuck it up in a cloud, but he might have. That's debatable. But the thing is, he figured out lightning and static electricity were electricity. Okay. Well, thus the invention he came up with his greatest invention he made not a dime off of, he gave it away for free, the lightning rod. Well, the light, okay, so we've, we've... So now we've made it to electricity, well, here's and my now question. we're ready to start doing work. Well, here was my question, Al, because we, we did tee this off as talking about the battery. Right. So my, my here, okay, for example, I was interested to learn, uh, I, I watched good old Jay Leno's Garage, right? right? There was a car that was, oh, it's, it's over 100 years old. Back yes. in the day in New York, there were electric automobiles and they were fairly common in fact i want to say at one point there were more electric vehicles than there were gasoline um, gasoline so you plugged it in you charged the battery and everything so i guess i was kind of curious too did the idea of a okay what came first a disposable battery or a rechargeable battery like what or were they kind of simultaneous because obviously you had to recharge the car battery you weren't throwing it out every time well and you also had acid mixes that you could change out in the battery and thus recharge the the battery battery right you could flush the battery so you had to deal with so removing chemicals and well and the problem with the early battery and we'll we'll pick on nickel and cadmium Okay. Uh, nickel, fairly, fairly common. We even use it as a uh, part of our money. Of cadmium, not quite as common, but not horribly rare. And we went, you know, all right, if we wrap these guys together, we can get a certain amount of work or a certain amount of voltage out of it. Right. With that simple idea, the idea that Benjamin Franklin had watching the little sparks in the jar, and then when we put the rods up next to the house... 
And when you put the rod up next to the house, lightning hit the rod and didn't burn down your house. Right. All right. So now lightning has been kind of contained. And honestly, you've heard the expression lightning in a bottle. That's where this came from at this time. Because now what else can we do with it? Because... If you get, like, two Baghdad batteries together and you touch the little wires, they spark. Or they'll even weld to each other. Right. And so now you're kind of following the, the process here. And now suddenly a huge, when we break into basically the 1800s, which is the realm of the greatest amount of backyard chemistry, figuring stuff out, building railways... Being able to get exotic uh, components, right? Suddenly, as you've pointed out, this is the one of the most fertile times in human history for invention. Well, that's what I, okay. Because here's where I was going with this. I was just sitting there looking at the at the history of the battery. You have um, probably a combination of disposable and uh, and rechargeable batteries. Although the rechargeable part sounds a little dubious, because like you said, you have to empty out chemicals. It's not quite as robust as we are today. And then I remember growing up in the 80s, man, I had a Walkman. I had that big boombox radio. Right. We were throwing batteries out. Every, we had those right. big camp light batteries. And then it started to, I don't know if this started in the 90s. I remember going to the store and you could start buying rechargeable batteries. Mm-hmm. And today, a lot of devices, you know, our phones, everything are rechargeable, which makes a lot more sense to me. So, I mean, I feel like maybe the future is leaning, hopefully, towards rechargeable, but then maybe getting... Uh, like we said, maybe solar power starts fueling your batteries mm-hmm. and you store you go stick your phone over in the sun for thirty minutes and it charges or something. But well, maybe that's the answer to because we don't want to just throw batteries in the garbage. Right. That's, let's that's let's bad. go back to eighteen ninety eight and let's create that battery. Okay. Uh there was Alan a just company, can't get out of the eighteen hundreds. No, okay, well I ahead. love the eighteen hundreds right now. All right. Uh the National Carbon Company of obviously had a lot of lot to do with carbon based products. For manufacturing, right? Uh-huh. Well, they created the very first, what we would call, carbon-based dry cell. The battery that you used so much in the 70s because they changed their name a little later. Is it called a dry cell because it's not a liquid inside Because there's there? no more acid in it. Okay, that's what there's I There's no more acid. Okay. So now we're not killing people with this stuff. The right. dog's not drinking it. It doesn't break open and poison everybody right. or melt your floor. And um, okay. after the National Carbon Company came up with this idea, they decided that this was an energizing product, and they would name it the Energizer. Oh. And they changed the name of the company to the Ever Ready Battery Company. When was this? 1898. It's always interesting to see these companies that have been around literally more than a century or thing. I mean, and, that's cool. Because that's all right, interesting. All of that happened to get to this one point. And yeah. now the fight is on. Right. Because somebody has manufactured it. And now in the last hundred years, we've gone from those simple little dry cells to batteries we can implant in your heart and oh keep boy. it pumping. Yeah, I mean, isn't that sort of the it? Because I'm I, I, to uh, to go back to Iron Man <laughs> in the movie, his uh, his big um, whatever I can't remember what it's called, but you know, it was basically the, the palladium thing in his chest. Yeah, that it generates was, power. Sorry, the geeks are going to kill me for forgetting the name of it. But anyway, the the repulsor arc or whatever reactor. arc reactor. Thank you, Max. 
was basically almost like its own little sun. It just kept regenerating money. I mean, regenerating energy. <laughs> regenerating <laughs> and money. money, too. Hey, yeah, well, welcome to the Disney Corporation. That was a Freudian slip. But no, energy, and I think that's the idea, right? Because we talk about electric vehicles and, and, and all these all other right. things. Well, the, the key with all of this is going to just be getting it where it stores more energy, it's more robust, and it doesn't just, you know, you don't have to go charge it every five hours. You might have to go charge it every two weeks or something. How about so. every 45,000 years? Right. So, I'm going to tease that for when we come back. Okay. All right. So uh, the the battery is, it's obviously a pretty rich topic. We're probably going to oh. wrap that up. But also, Alan, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of interested in uh, purging a little and talking about this 30 years of stupid when we come back. <laughs> uh, it's going to trigger you for sure. Oh, yeah. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. Pay the price for your lack of vision. News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis. Yeah, how many times has that happened to us, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, an apropos uh, rejoiner, Max, with all that electricity. In addition to the power behind the controls that I also have, I also have like a little electricity arc that I could zap Joe and Alan with. Yeah, we got to stay on our toes. Anyway, welcome <laughs> back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. Here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and our pal Max over there behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to the Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and uh, give us a like. And uh, check out, I've already posted the must-have item of the week, Alan. And it's one you and mm. I actually mm. thoroughly agree on. Well, actually, oh, yes. you and I generally agree on the must-have items of the week. That's not a, that's we, not a controversy. We, we both have them. We Later in the show, we may disagree <laughs> about AstroTurf. Although I don't know, I'm not. I'm not. This isn't. This isn't the hill I'm going to die on. I'm just more curious because we were listening. Like I said, we, we we. Hey, Alan, never let it be said we don't react to the news of the day. We were literally Instantly. listening to the uh, yeah. to the news break where they talked about uh, AstroTurf going down and uh, you know being mm. put down in some of these yards out west. And so we we, we may. If, if we don't do it this week, we're definitely going to, at some point, discuss that. Oh, yeah, we are definitely going to weigh in. It behooves oh, yeah. us. Uh, shortly, Alan, we're going to talk about this 30 years of stupid that I mm. encountered. In a, but first, I, you you know, we've been talking about the battery. Uh, that was our salute of the day. And also, we wanted to, because it's such a rich topic and we're living in the middle, you could say, of a battery revolution. We are really living in revolutionary times when it comes to battery oh, there, technology. There's absolutely a technological war going on right now trying to figure out the next bigger and better battery right because i think that i, I think everybody could agree that okay it's not great to to, to pollute right at some point we're going to run out of oil and gas you can't just keep pumping the stuff out of the ground we don't you know so cleaner technologies i think everybody's behind the idea i know at the moment uh electric vehicles are expensive you know things like mm -hmm. that even the house battery can be a little pricey however once they crack that whole the, the whole nut of getting these where they can really really store quite a bit of energy getting yes. them where they can be manufactured easy and they don't have such a bad you know they they're more eco-friendly you could say but I, I i think we're heading in the right direction with this well yeah. you know uh even elon musk one of our favorite people to talk about on a few shows oh yeah of uh, has come up with and 
So how far can a battery go? Well, the idea is a battery is any small portable item that right. can generate or store power or electricity. Right. So with that kind of loose definition, we've gone from here have a brick, here have some lightning in a bottle, to, well, we now have the Energizer. We now have the dry cell battery that brought us to today. Right. 20, 30 years ago, we started looking at lithium, and now, as you've said, you've got an entire tool chest full of power tools. We're not talking about a little radio. We're talking sawzalls. We're talking about, uh, you have an electric lawnmower. Oh, yeah, and I like I, it. It I, works I, great. So, I mean, you're talking about batteries and battery power and the ability to do work being delivered. So where do we go next? What is the next big step? Can, can I can, because, dive in? Okay, I'm only doing this because, you know, Alan, if you get me interested, I'm going to interrupt. Only because I, I'm just making a small prediction here. Because Elon Musk is definitely a guy that thinks outside the box. And, you know, anytime I can reference Star Trek or science fiction, I'm going to do it. Well, Alan, when, when you get into your car and you... And you've got, maybe you've got these big, thick, uh, you know, uh, floor mats. Mm -hmm. and, you, and, you, and then you get out and you touch the door and you get an electric zap. Or right. maybe you were in your house and you were walking and you mm -hmm. got the static electricity. You touch a piece of metal. Okay, well, at, at the moment when you're drumming up all the static electricity, before you actually go and touch the car or the metal frame, are you technically a battery at yes. this point? You've just charged. So where I was going with this was <laughs> how soon before we start incorporating our own bodies, our own DNA, mm -hmm. our own organic material and working that into our calculations of battery technology and battery ago. storage. Okay. 10 years ago. All right. So I'm not that far off the mark. No, you I'm are, just thinking of, you are you know, swimming in the, you are swimming in the deep end of the pool right now. <laughs> All right. Okay. I just wanted to throw that into the mix. So okay. We are batteries. Okay. We radiate, we convert food to heat. Right. It's basically what we do. Of There was an entire series of geeky movies about humans being used as batteries. Yeah. It didn't end well for us. Well, just, well yeah. you know. We well, they got okay. three sequels out of we, it. So. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. got a good franchise out of it. Yeah. Okay. The Matrix, folks, if you don't know what yeah, we're talking about. In case we're, we're talking yeah. about Kung Fu and computers and all that good stuff. Right. All right. Let's get back on Elon Musk. I'm sorry. Okay, I, so, I sidetracked you. But, no, yeah. you're actually dead on the money here. Okay. Because you have medical clothing coming out in the next five years based on your body's motion to power and run the devices. Okay. We have watches that are self-winding by the muscular action of your body right now. Okay, you so, know, because it, it makes sense to me. If we generate electricity, how much more natural can we you get? We, we are electrical creatures. You have electrical currents running through your body right now. Now, here's what I don't want to happen, Alan. I don't want the, um, I don't want the uh, electrical currents running through my brain to suddenly uh, send all their energy to my cell phone, and then I'm kind of <laughs> left hanging in the breeze. So, well, we, uh, we did that 10 years ago. <laughs> You lose your cell phone, your brain went with it these okay. days. All right. Okay. So the idea here is the motion of electrons. Okay. We need to move electrons. Uh, there are a variety of ways we can move electrons. Uh, we can spin stuff, which is the number one way we get electrons now. Right. So we have a turbine of some kind, something spins, something moves. We also have nuclear energy. 
Oh, yeah. Where nuclear energy, for all that is good and very bad about nuclear energy, uh, the problem with nuclear energy is basically the poop. Okay. The, the, nuclear the, waste is the bad. The nuclear waste, yeah. Because it's still, as we quote unquote like to say, it's hot. Yeah. It's still producing energy. All right. The idea got floated around a little while back that we could have a nano battery. Okay. Is this what Elon Musk is talking about? This uh, is a nano diamond battery. Gosh, that's even getting closer to Star Wars with a well, we're, hybrid we're, crystals we're, and we're, stuff. So. We're heading for dilithium crystals here pretty quick. Okay. Of what we're talking about is basically taking high energy something like nuclear waste right applying the technology of how to make a faux diamond oh right because they, they do know how to make fake diamonds we now. can make fake diamonds all day long and now you have a tiny little crystalline structure packed full of interesting goodness hmm. or at least you have the possibility of a technology that is a self-charging battery this is getting interesting. So. And, and, okay. and this is just one tip of potential icebergs yeah. upcoming in the future. Because as you've said, we've really just touched on solar. We've really just touched on wave energy. Iceland has just touched on the fact that they have, uh, they're heating and cooling their homes using magma. Sure. So, yeah, I think we can get there. I'm I'm not as doom and gloom as a lot of people. I think I I I'm not pie in the sky. I know that battery technology still has a long way to go. I know that car, you know, electric cars are expensive right now. At the same time, uh, as I recall, electric drills were pretty pricey when Very they first expensive. came out. Yeah. Now you can buy them for less than you know whatever. So, oh, I'm waiting on that car that you never have to refill. Right. Well, Alan, we'll we'll definitely be following this story with great interest. So, uh, but we 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 um we've got to move along. But that was a long salute, and a, and you know we would love your thoughts too uh, about the battery and about mm -hmm. what your you know what where do you see this going in the future? You can always call or text us at uh, the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at nine zero one six eight three zero nine eight nine, and also you know share your uh, remarks over at Tool Talk Radio's Facebook page. So, well, Alan, uh, I just wonder, uh, you know who's probably keeping a close eye on all of this battery technology or just the latest technology, because mm. I know that's what he, he lives and breathes. Oh, yes. Our good buddy, Larry Brown with Brown Refrigeration, because uh, I will give him that. Uh, he started, let's see, he started back when Kenny Rogers, the gambler, was the big song on the radio. <laughs> when was that, Alan? In the 70s or something like that? Uh, um, that's like 82. No, 80. it was 70s, I recall. The 70s? That song wow. was drilled in my head, and I yeah. couldn't get it anyway. But uh, he's been around. He's seen uh, HVAC technology uh, grow and develop. He's also seen uh, clean air technology yes. develop. I don't know when the Remy Halo was invented. I got to ask him That's that. about 15 years ago. Okay. When we started getting to UVC lighting because mm -hmm. he's all about conditioning the air which isn't just blowing cold air in your house right. it's about removing humidity it's about keeping the air as clean as possible and the fact that uh 
the Remy Halo system generates cleaning particulates. It doesn't just blow out clean air. Right. It blows out air that cleans. Hydrogen peroxide ions. That'll yes. hurt your brain, huh? Yeah. I always <laughs> imagine those little scrubbing <laughs> bubbles, like, you know, and they're just clean. They land on the surface of your counter. It's cleaning them, yep. especially with all the, you know, COVID and everything. Right. It helps It helps combat that. And let's face it, here in the Mid-South, we have pollen. We have all sorts Ooh, of things gosh. that we yes. can be breathing in getting uh, allergies. So brown refrigeration does it all. And especially what's cool is the way they incorporate it with their smart home system. So uh, you you can now say, you know what, I'm going to be off of work in, a, in, in, in an hour. I'm going to go pull out my smartphone here. I'm going to drop the temperature oh my gosh, of my house yes. about 10 degrees. I'm going to, mm. you know, you can regulate it. You can keep your house running more efficiently and uh, less expensively. And it's just, it's cool. It's all with the, you know, it's all incorporated and they're just great people and they have a great business culture over there. And when you do, and when you do business with Brown Refrigeration, it's not one of these, uh, what, Chuck in the truck where they're going <laughs> to, you, you, you have a solid company standing behind yes, their do. work. When you call them five years later with a question or an issue, they're going to be there. So yes. they're, they're just great people. We love them to death. So give them a call. Uh, you can call them directly at 901-362-1881 or go to their very easy to remember website, brownref.com. All right, Alan, um, we've talked about uh, positive things. We've talked mm. about uh, the celebration of the ingenuity of, uh, you know, human invention. Oh, yeah. Now it's time to talk about human stupidity. Oh, Ooh, okay. okay. Like a loose <laughs> nail. Yeah, one out of 25 ain't bad. <laughs> you don't have any code violations, do you? <laughs> nope. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson, old man? What do you think of the house that love built? Oh, shoot. All right, Alan. I would not believe this if I didn't see it for myself. Now, okay, if this happened 100 years ago, I would not, I wouldn't object because I don't even, uh, did we have treated lumber 100 years ago? Uh, although lumber seems like it was a little more robust back then. The lumber seems it was like it was denser or something. Whatever. Well, we were different lumbers okay. and they weren't. They weren't uh, farm-raised. Everything was old growth 100 okay. years ago. Alan, would you ever build a fence? This is, you know, this is one of these things you have mm. to see it to believe it. Well, and actually, looking at it, you might not know right off the bat that it was built this way. But imagine a fence that was built using untreated 2x4s and, oh. and untreated 4x4s. So you have a post because, you know, the the you can buy... Four by fours right, that are yeah, just yeah. good old. They're pine. They're they're a lot lighter. Have you noticed when you go to the store and you pick one up? Wait, they're not as dense. Well, anything that's been pressure treated weighs twice as much right. as any of the kill dried stuff. Well, right. you know, I know they fill it with arsenic and whatever other stuff, but it does keep it from you know within reason. You can still rot treated lumber. You oh, know, even if it's, a, if it's under if it's underwater, it's going to rot. But it's not nearly as prone to, you know, it, it, it'll hold up a lot better. Holds up a lot longer. Well, right. I saw a fence, Alan, and they told us because they built the fence. They said, well, it was actually less expensive to get the untreated lumber yeah. and the four by fours. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. I didn't say this and out loud, but I'm thinking. Three years later when it falls down. It yeah. was probably less expensive by about 50 bucks or something for the whole project. Don't you think? I mean, it's not a huge difference in price to get <sighs> treated versus... It could <laughs> cost quite a bit. Well, all right, not now. I'm thinking like this five must years have been... ago, treated cost a good 30, 30, 40% more than untreated. Right. Now, prices are so up and down, you know, it's, 
you know, I, I've I've been tempted to sell you know the big box store my old popsicle stick collection, right? Because yeah, I could probably make some money on those right now. Of, but not the best of idea because you have no protection against anything. Well, and and here's the other thing, Alan. And the carpenter bee is going to think you're his best buddy. Now, oh my gosh! Here's the other part of this. I didn't, you know. Okay, running. You know when you've got those. You've seen this. You've got the. Uh, this is a telltale sign that somebody used the wrong screws. You're looking at a fence. Oh no! And right where the screw heads, like the little mm. hole where they they, they put the screws. There, there's brown they're rust trails. Yeah, they're weeping. Well, obviously they used the wrong. They probably use like drywall screws. They or used something. interior drywall screws. Right. <laughs> yeah. The minute you put a little nick on it, it breaks the surface oh. and it and it'll rust. So just a, a big swing and a miss all the way well, around. And the bad it's part like, is you can't take them out. Well, because when you snap. put they, the little head will just snap right off of there. Yeah, yeah. Just a big. And now the, the fence board itself was fine. They were they weren't. But well, that you was a red cedar, probably a normal fence. Yeah, board. or or treated whatever. But it's just like well, because you can't. As far as I know, you can't get untreated or non cedar. I mean, I don't know what you'd put. No, a in fence. A fence. A fence board is a fence board. Right. Thank a fence board's a fence board. So, but man, please don't do this. And this doesn't. This doesn't just apply to a fence. I mean, a fence. Really takes some hardcore beating, you know. But right. uh, man, outside wood is meant to be. Now, granted, uh, there is trim. Uh, there is trim boards that are maybe up where they're not sitting in water, where they're not holding water or something. Right. And sometimes you can get away with that. Well, they're and also sometimes painted you have no or stained. Right. They're usually you know pre- you use paint and stain to protect the house. Yeah. But man, it's just uh, and and we've seen this too, Alan. A, a lot of homes that were built with. Um, the uh, as long as we're harping on this, the the uh, lumber that uh, for the the uh, window trim that's not treated and it's usually mm. kind of, and then somebody's got their irrigation system where every day the water sprinkler is soaking that window because yep. they got to water their plants there and and so you know just think about it what you know wood is up against it's got a hard road to you know you're asking a lot of wood yes so well here here's what's gonna here's what's gonna fail okay all right one. The uh, the carpenter bees and everybody else that likes to eat wood, you just built a buffet. Yeah, those you gave two them by a nice, fours. soft. It's oh. a, like we like our steaks tender and juicy. They oh. like wood tender you, and juicy. You just so. set the table. Yeah. Okay, but that's not what's actually going to fail. Right. What's actually going to fail is that one inch area right at the ground. Okay. It's not going to fail under the ground. Everybody goes like, "Oh, well, it's going to rot in the ground and the water." The, the, the funny thing got is, that covered, yeah. well, it, whether it's got cement on it or not is actually kind of irrelevant because pretty much once you get below the surface of the ground, it's fairly sterile. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of oxygen going on right there. I think and it's a combination of oxygen and water. Right? Bingo. Yeah. Now that one inch right there where the grass is, right there at the ground level. At the fulcrum point where that fence is going to get pushed by the wind, that is going to eat through very quickly. You know, you talk about the wind a lot, Alan, because the stress of the wind, um, I don't, you know, I don't think about it as much, but it's true because it's, I think what it is is because when it's pushing against the fence, you don't really see it unless it's just swaying in the breeze and at that uh, point unless it's, it's far, coming down you right. got a lot of force that's being pushed slowly and and continuously against this this wood so it, it is you built a wind sail and the wind will accept your challenge <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a good point. And it so, is yeah. going to continuously. Now, you know, you get a day like today where it's 100 degrees, honestly, not exaggerating. Right. Very little breeze, and it's just baking. And yeah. everybody walks up there and looks at it and goes, see, it's not, it's not rotting. It's not anything. It's dry as a bone. It looks great. That's today. Right. Now, tomorrow evening, now that it has been nice and sun-baked, what's going to happen when that little bit of rain starts falling? And it's that stuff's going to turn into, as you and I've said a million times, wood breathes. Sure. It moves. Like a it sponge. expands. I do look at wood a lot like a sponge, Alan. You have a, a dish sponge. You squeeze it all out. You let it sit for a while, and it's dry Dries and up. stiff. But at the same time, I've seen woods. Uh, I've seen sponges where you almost feel like you could just snap it in half because it's so dry and right. you know, so just like it wood. gets really dry and brittle. And then we're going to add a little water to it. And if you want to watch the heads pop off your little boards out there, watch that two by four. Honestly, you could, this is kind of a cheesy experiment to prove your point. Uh, you can take a C clamp. Right. Go out to that fence right now in that untreated wood, put that C clamp on it good and tight. Yeah. Now, tomorrow when it rains, go back out Monday and look at it and look at how the wood swelled up around your oh, C yeah. clamp. Sure, man. And you, you'll be shocked that it moved. You know, up to a quarter of an inch. Oh, yeah. Fence board, not to beat this into the ground, but fence boards, you get a dry spell where, you know, and you'll see a gap in between the fence oh, yeah, boards where it's a up. quarter of an inch. Then you go back a week later after it's been soaked with rain and they're swelled up and they're yep. butted right next to each other. So, yes. Yeah, they definitely expand and contract a lot. So, you know. Welcome welcome to the perils of wooden fences. <laughs> well, hey, Alan, as long as we're talking about stupidity, I, I couldn't resist this this. Like we said, we at the top of the break, uh, or actually, you know, at the top of the show, we heard a news break, and the the basic gist is what we heard were people out west, which I've lived out west, mm -hmm. Alan, and there is not a lot of green, I have to admit. Mm -hmm. My daughter lives mm -hmm. in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She has gravel for a yard. Uh, I've All been, to, I've been in Midland, Odessa for a while, yeah. I do see the appeal here, but there's people that are putting AstroTurf down on their yards in lieu, because they can't grow grass. There's just no, you know, whatever. Right. And you you immediately, <laughs> that triggered you. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of hit or miss on it. Mostly I just see it as a way to collect dirt and grime or maybe mildew. I don't know. But what's your beef? Uh, my what? my beef <laughs> is of, I'll pick on the state of Arizona. Okay. No, no, please, oh. if I may. There okay. we go. Well, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm gonna. It, like I said, Max, this isn't the hill I'm gonna die on. I just, but it, I was, I wasn't triggered like Alan was. I, don't I was care. more. I'm here to push buttons. Okay, go. <laughs> He's fulfilling his destiny. Let's let's be fair, Alan. Just to set the table correctly, they were talking about people doing this in Denver. Now Denver right. does get rain and all that. You know, my daughter, like I said, she lives in Albuquerque. I lived in San Diego, right. where you got rain t two days a year. Denver so. is a mile up. Okay, let's just start there. Okay, all right. One, do not move to a alien area <laughs> and attempt to bring your home with you. Yeah, the stop desert it. really doesn't want us there. Stop it, stop yeah. it, stop it. Right. These people that want to move to the middle of the Sahara and want a green lawn, no, okay. stop. And now, I will say, if you want to throw some AstroTurf out there, by all means, do it. But stop with the irrigations and the alien plants and the alien critters because you move to a different part of the world. Hmm. 
You know, you're making me think, Alan. I, I this might be something we unpack in the in the second hour a little bit because now that you mention it, when 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 I lived in San Diego, they piped in their water from Colorado. Yes, really. Like you said, the desert is not an accommodating place. Why did we set up? I mean, it's beautiful out there. That's probably the whole answer. But yeah, you basically got to bring everything with you. You got to find a new way to you know. So. <laughs> Unless you're a Tatooine moisture farmer, which we haven't perfected uh, well, yet. Well, so, I mean. you know, actually we have. And let's come back to Tatooine okay. and, the, and your pretty lawn when we come back. Okay, well, we'll, we'll so I knew we'd get some mileage out oh, of this, yeah. Max. You know, just you just get get Alan fired up a little, <laughs> use the proper trigger words, and, uh, and boom, you've got some content there. But I think it is interesting <laughs> because all of us, no matter where we live, we have to adapt to our surroundings. Yes. So so we'll talk about that. But boy, Alan, when we come back, I'm also super excited because in the second hour of, this, of Tool Talk Radio, we're going to do a new segment called Great Moments in Building History. Mm -hmm. And we are going to unpack the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. Real revolutionary moment in history. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We'll be right back. News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. And welcome to Hour 2 of Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor's Hammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning. Here with my buddy Alan Gilbreth from darkoakmedia.com and our pal Max behind the glass. You can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And we invite you to go to the Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and give us a like and check out uh, the must-have item of the week, which I've already posted. You know, I know there's those people out there, Alan. I know them. I know them like the back <laughs> of my hand. They, they're they the same people that want every spoiler before a movie mm. comes out or, you know, they want to know all of the things in advance. Well, if you're that type of person, you can, you can find out what the must-have item of the week is before everybody else, before the listeners find out. You know, if that's how you get your kicks. Yeah. Knock yourself yeah, out. Sneak over there. And also, one thing you'll you'll discover when you go over there is that Alan has uh, dutifully posted links to all of our past shows, which is a really nice bonus. I mean, I don't know, Alan, 20 years ago or so, getting listening to past shows, basically, you listen to the radio. If you missed it, you're, you're out of luck. But now, uh, every show is archived for the ages. It is indeed. Uh, they can pop over to tooltalkradio.com. Uh, check us out on Facebook, check us out on Spotify, check us out on YouTube. Yeah. And, you know, and here's the big thing. Give us a like, click, uh, click that you, you like the show and subscribe. That way you don't miss anything coming out in the future. And, uh, we love those algorithms. And, you know, the, the other thing, Alan, we, we, we say this and I, I know we're, we're looking at you, New Zealand, and we're mm. looking at you, Dominican Republic, uh, we, Scotland and you, everybody. You yeah. said that there's listeners that, that listen from, from overseas and it would be nice to get a message from them i'd sure. love to i'd love to know what their challenges are if you live in loch ness what are you dealing oh, with out there wow. i mean home why what is your what is your property you know not only does it have to withstand monsters and <laughs> humidity and, and craziness out there so we want to hear from you you know what what your home what is the big challenge are. in the dominican republic this week Absolutely. yeah that would be awesome yeah well alan uh shortly we're gonna we're gonna launch a new segment that we that we've discussed and it's gonna be a lot of fun great moments in building history mm -hmm. and we're gonna be discussing the uh, chicago world's fair of 1892 or, i mean 1893 however mm -hmm. 
Um, before the break, if you're just tuning in, we were talking about uh, something that really triggered you. Apparently, uh, it's becoming popular out west to, you know, there's it's you can't grow grass out there. I mean, oh, I don't even gosh. know what they do for golf course. I know golf courses, that's a, you know, they have to get, uh, they uh, have to get zoning regulations right. and everything because they have to keep them watered. But people are turning... They they don't want just gravel in their yard or sand, so they're they're putting astroturf down. You um, said something that was very interesting to me because you were you were you were bemoaning the uh, what it's going to do to your what yard, what sort of critters are probably going to oh, live yeah. under there, what it does to your drainage. It'll probably mildew. It's mm. not you know it's going to dry out and rot in the sun. I would guess because it's basically plastic, right? Yes, yes. What I was more intrigued by though, Alan, you said something about. Um, Okay, if you move to the desert, don't try to bring your environment with you because you're living. Okay, if you if you lived where we do now, where it's very green and you have grass and you have trees and everything's flourishes, don't expect that you can recreate that in the in a desert climate. Well, I, and, and I guess what I was interested in is I feel like the key to to our success in the future is adapting to our natural environment. If you live somewhere where there is a giant river like we have. Maybe mm -hmm. hydroelectric power becomes something that should be mm -hmm. looked at. Mm -hmm. If you look oh, yeah. in a place where, you know, so adapting to your environment could, you know, for sources of energy or just sort, the the way you want to live, really, I think. Because if you drive, sorry, Alan, I'm on a roll. But if you drive across <laughs> America today, um, you find, I, I hate to use the word cookie cutter, but it sort of is. If you go to a big box store in 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 um, New Mexico, and you go to a big box store in New York, it's going to look exactly the same. You know, it's the same shelving, it's the right. same the same restaurants. This there is a cert, certain cookie cutter aesthetic. Um, there's a place in New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico, where they've tried to basically uh, fight against that. There, if you go out there, the architecture and uh, the aesthetic, and even the the culture, and they've maintained a southwestern culture out there that they're very proud right. of. And I kind of wish we would go a little bit back to that because, honestly, like I said, if you drive around the country today, a lot of it looks the same. And I feel like you should celebrate the different landscapes and the different cultures mm. and the, mm. you know, so mm. did I tee it up enough for you, Alan? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, <laughs> all right, let, so, let's put it this way. Yeah. If you live up north and you have relatively bad allergies. Right. I got news for you. And I'm sorry, the Memphis uh, Convention Board can send me a nasty letter about what I'm about to say next. Uh -oh. But if you have, you suffer from allergies and you live someplace where they're relatively under control. Right. Memphis is not, not a good destination for you. Yeah, we, you came from the southwest where there's Man, no we got yeah. pollen, yeah. we got trees, we got grass, we got critters of, now... And I'm, I'm talking about specifically for the person who lives in upper Nebraska someplace who has mild allergies there. Yeah. All right. We're going to kill you here because it's – and it's not going to change. You're not going to get rid of 8,000 oak trees in your neighborhood. It's not right. going to happen. Yeah. But when we do move from one area to another, we have a tendency to want to take home with us. Right. And the hardest thing being from – like, you know, out in West Texas is watching people move into areas that really had no clue what they were getting into. Because uh, if you moved into the Houston area, you just basically moved into New Orleans. 
and the, the humidity, it's a bayou and it's low yeah. and it's seawater and it's you know right guys it's 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 bayou country yeah of but if you go up around dallas you're on the kind of the high plains you're you're kind of in a clint eastwood movie right now you get out to middle and odessa and further west guys desert it, it, you're not going to grow that big, pretty St. Augustine grass lawn that you had in Orlando. And yeah. the other problem is you're absolutely killing some of the reasons to be there. Well, of, I guess that's a good point. You know, part of the southwestern, and, and it's not for everybody. I will admit, there's people that they they want green, they want um, they want humidity, they want rain, they they don't want that desert. Because it is, it takes an adjustment, I can tell well, you. big I, sky country yeah. Montana is not where you're going to have a big pretty lawn. Right. You might yeah. have 5,000 acres with cattle on it, but you're not going to have a big pretty lawn. Yeah. Of Part of the problem is, you know, I remember back in the late 70s, early 80s, the Arizona building boom. Okay. Because everybody from places like Memphis that was absolutely dying of their sinuses, as yeah. soon as they retired... They wanted to get as far away from water and mildew as they could. Sure. So they picked up and they all started moving and Arizona became became kind of a boom because there wasn't really a pollen count. I think that's what the appeal was back in the and day was just basically the, for health, health dry reasons. Dry air, yeah. not a lot of pollen. Right. The first thing we did when we got there, dig up all the native plants and start planting all the stuff that was giving us all the problems here. Hmm. So interesting. In, when you get into a different geographical area, do a little research, find out, make a couple of phone calls. What are you moving into and what can you expect? Right. Because I got news for you. If you're moving to the you're moving to what we like to call the high country. Mm -hmm. All right. Denver, I believe, is where the story is from. Denver is a mile up. Yeah. You if you are you from the too. Jersey yeah. Shore. Denver is going to be like an alien planet to you. Yeah. Because there's no ocean. <laughs> there's, well, and you, you know, go hiking and you and, and suddenly you're like, why am I so out of breath? Why am I, you know, why do I feel you're dizzy and lightheaded? Up. Yeah. You have changed everything about your life. You and I'm gonna make a cooking reference. The first time you try to bake something and you're from New Orleans and uh -huh. you're someplace like Denver, cooking doesn't work the same. The atmospheric pressure is so much different. Right. You got to use different recipes and different styles. So, honestly, when you're moving to a different part of the world, and I'm going to really pick on a lot of the people moving into the Mid-South. Uh, we got a lot of folks moving down here from the North all the time. Right. And, guys, months like June, we honestly get 100-degree heat. You're not going to go camping. No. No, really, stop. Because this happens every year, especially during Elvis week. This is the first place I've ever lived, Alan, where I don't necessarily look forward to the summer. Like in Chicago, man, you couldn't wait for the summer. But here, I kind of, you know, it's like well, you survive the summer. And, you know, I'm glad I'm not, it's not 20 below, but at the same time. Now, you know. to forgive summer, we have some of the most spectacular falls and springs you could ever ask for. Yeah, and the winters are nothing. I mean, winters, so, eh. Yeah. Winter kind of comes and goes. So, so you know, it, but really be at home with where you're trying to move because okay. it has so much to do with your happiness when you get there. I feel like this will be a theme that we may uh, uh, revisit. I guess my big thing is, Alan, I don't want the country to just become cookie cutter where 
Every part of America looks the same. I like having a distinct. If you go, if you go to the East Coast, if you go out west, yeah. if you go up north, I like them to have their own distinct, distinct culture. Let's not ruin, uh, you know, what makes our our environment interesting. Right. Let's keep it, you know, keep it keep it distinct and um, unique. All right, Alan. Speaking of a distinct and unique individual, mm. hey, I think I actually made a, a that was segue a good segue. There. Yeah, our buddy Jay Hill with Big M Roofing and Remodeling. You talk about a distinct, uh, a distinct character. <laughs> he he is distinct in the sense of the the craftsmanship that he offers for uh, your roofing and your remodeling needs. He's he's a GAF Master Elite Installer. He's uh, five stars with the Better Business Bureau and Good Housekeeping. He's very knowledgeable and a very uh, very well established and very skilled contractor. Mm, yes. However, he also has the unique uh, distinction of being a former insurance agent because yes. in remodeling and especially in in the roofing world, there are times that um, you know the, the damage or the uh, the the work is covered by your homeowner's insurance, and that is not an easy process to navigate. The laws change, you know, yearly. It's always different. And and you don't just pick up a phone and hope for the best with that. Well, you, you know, we've advocate. had so many storms. Right. And this is not just here in Memphis. This is all across the country of, you know, I used to live down in hurricane zones. Yeah. And getting a roof tore up or having a tree limb go through it or heaven knows all the other stuff that can go wrong. Of There is something about watching your guy and their guy, male or female, right. talk insurance to each other and come to an agreement. Sure. Because you are a little out of that conversation because they're talking forms and techniques and regulations and they're, they they are talking insurance speak. Well, you know what? You know what else? There's an interesting dynamic with Jay Hill and with Big M Roofing and Remodeling because, OK, the, the projects he deals with, OK, your roof. Let's face it. The roof can be daunting. The roof is a big thing. It covers everything. It's one of the most important features it is. of your home. However, some of these remodeling projects he gets involved with are they're they're a big deal as oh well. Oh my goodness, yes. And so immediately you're sort of in, intimidated. This is something that you you know maybe uh, is off putting to you, and all of a sudden you get Jay Hill in the picture, and it's like wow, now this has suddenly become exciting because there's options for me to. Uh, actually get right. this work done and it may not send me to the poor house. I'm going to <laughs> be able to afford this. This yes. is going to have a lifetime transferable warranty. It's just great. And uh, he's such an interesting personality to work with. And like I said, the work is top notch. He's a very well-established company. So just like our buddy, uh, Larry Brown, he's going to be there mm -hmm. when you call him five years from now with a question or an issue, he's going to stand behind his work. And like I said, lifetime transferable warranties yes. on the roofing systems. He's just, a, he's a good dude and he's very entertaining. Like I said, if you're ever bored, just pick up the phone and call Jay, oh, yeah. and chew the fat and he'll, you know, He's got a lot going on. <laughs> He's a character. Anyway, you can get in touch with him directly at 901-484-5645 or go to bigmroofingandremodeling.com. And I forgot to mention, Alan, all of the consultation with Jay is free. Oh, yes. There's really no reason not to call him right. because, I mean, if there's any issues, uh, why not get that free expertise? Let and, him uh, take a look. And let him check it out. So, all right, Alan, uh, I've been excited about this. We've we've already teased mm -hmm. it, but this is a segment that we're going to do. We didn't have a confession this week anyway, so it came in. Uh, the timing is perfect, but I think this is going to be sort of an ongoing uh, discussion. And, and we're calling this Great Moments in Building History. Now, folks, this could, and, and we're open to your suggestions. If you have any suggestions, it does not have to be um, anything 
it doesn't have to be like the great pyramids of Egypt or whatever, but it could be that, or it could be the uh, explosion of shopping malls in the 1980s, or it could be oh, anything, goodness. or it could be a simple invention of a critical piece of technology that revolutionized uh, building technology, but we want to celebrate these, but we're starting off big, Alan. I have to admit, we're kind of swinging for the fences today. <laughs> we're going to talk about the World's Fair of 1893. Mm -hmm. And folks, right out of the gate, if you are not familiar with this, um, I would just jump on YouTube right now and you're going to go right. down a rabbit hole that you're going to learn things. This this was a fascinating period. The World's Columbian Exposition. Right, right. They were celebrating, which I don't understand why this didn't happen in 1892. I think there was a recession. I can't remember. There was some depression in the country or something. They, they but, were working through some issues, but it was the 400th so, anniversary of, of the Columbian Colum Exposition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they were they were they celebrated and here's what boggles my mind, Alan. So the 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 World's Fair for one thing, the architectural style they chose, they basically build a mini city. And I yes. say mini, it's not really an accurate term either because these buildings- It was bigger than some small cities. Were massive yeah. and they were very well built. They built them in a classic kind of Roman architecture and they decided to, and then they had like a, they had like a, a, a mini, um, uh, what do you call that for boats and everything? They they created waterways. Oh, yeah. It was right up against Lake Michigan. They did Michigan. their own canals and everything. Yeah, yeah, it was very near to Lake Michigan, but it was on the south side of Chicago, um, which uh it's it's still, you know, Lake Michigan goes all the way, all the way up and down Chicago. But anyway, Alan, so they built all these buildings. And the thing that blows my mind is this was only a six-month long fair. And then they mm -hmm. tore down most of the buildings afterwards. So I don't, man, because these these structures are amazing. And one of them we're going to discuss yeah. shortly now, is still there today. But there is a lot fact. to unpack here, Alan. So. How many people visited this particular World's Fair? In well, just I'll let six you months. say because I do know the statistic on that. It, so. Over 27 million people. And that was half the population of America in that day. Can you get your head around that? Half the people in America had to either take a train or a wagon train or walk or take hitchhike or, or something. Whatever. They they didn't take a car. They you know, and half of them in America went to this thing. That's a pretty mind staggering number. Right. And and um, you know, we'll just say right out of the gate, if you want to read really one of the most definitive books about this, read the book called The Devil in the White City. Now, oh, it's wow. a two-part story. Actually, it's kind of a three-part story. It chronicles the building of the of the World's Fair, but it also chronicles the the H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, who was a one of the first serial killers in mm -hmm. American history, who he created his own. Uh, <laughs> Max, you you know this story, but uh, it's the Murder Hotel. I yes. won't I won't divulge a lot further, but that's the part more than the World's Fair that intrigued me. <laughs> it's pretty because I'm not really into that type of stuff, but I will say they deal with it pretty tastefully. I wouldn't let your kids read the book, but it's really it's it's all history. It is the most one of the most his, interesting historical periods I've ever heard. But Alan, the basic idea between the white city. Well, for one thing, they painted it white because, among other things, they were OK. One of the revolutionary things that happened, this was going to be a celebration of architecture, innovative building techniques, landscaping, and then showcasing the latest technology, as well as showcasing cultures from around the world. Right. And by painting, okay, so they, they create these massive structures, very beautiful buildings, and then they, they made them all white, partly, I think, because they wanted to show off just the, the, the lines of the buildings, but also they, they were going to be introducing electric light, and they wanted something to reflect off it. 
Well, <laughs> excuse me, but <laughs> so well, they went with white, you know, a yeah, white suit. It's, it was the overall aesthetic and effect that they were looking for here. And it, by, you know, it, it, when you're really trying to change the look of an entire city, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. In this particular case, they opted for almost a visual special effect. Right. And because of what they did, they created this of, I'm going to say panorama. So as you drove up, as the train came over and you really saw the vista of the city, you got almost the perfect movie poster. Oh, it's incredible. Well, because, you know, what happened was the president, so President Grover Cleveland, this was uh, May 1st, and and Max, this is going to touch on one of your... um, I don't know if he's one of your heroes, but one of the people you're fascinated with, with Tesla. And uh, he he's involved in this story. I mean, so. I'm literally wearing a shirt today that has Nikola Tesla on you it. You kind of look yes. like Tesla, too. So, But anyway, he flipped a switch and activated 160,000 light bulbs that were very well positioned. You know, Alan, you and I always talk about the importance of lighting. <laughs> yes. They really understood this. And they said people wept when they would arrive because think about it, in those days... Your source of light was lamps or, you know, candles or things like that. Something that was going to burn down your house. And suddenly they saw the, the potential of this this new light source. Yes. And it, it it was literally breathtaking. People just, they, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. Could not believe what And this, this whole experience, you could say, was was sort of lit a, lit a fuse under the Industrial Revolution in terms of accelerating it. All sorts of inventions came out of it. I, I want to just throw in real quick... Walt Disney's father was a contractor on the project. Yes. And a lot of people uh, credit that fact with, with, with how ambitious Walt Disney was in creating Disneyland and making, you know, it, I, I'm sure this the, the White City definitely influenced uh, Disneyland. Had so, to. So we've got a lot to unpack here oh, yes. uh, talking about the uh, 1893 Chicago World's Fair. You're listening to Tool Talk Radio here at News Talk 98.9 The Roar of Memphis. We'll be right back. Tool Talk Radio with Joe and Alan. If you cut every corner, you'll have more time for play. It's the American way. News Talk 98.9, the roar of Memphis. All right, either Max is tone oh. deaf or he's just purposely trying to trigger me because oh. we're about to celebrate American ingenuity oh. and uh, hard work and dedication, <laughs> and here goes Max purposely getting me mad. So, all right. welcome. Anyway, welcome back to uh, Tool Talk Radio, coming to you from the Brown Refrigeration Studios. I'm Joe Thorderson with Thor Sammer, Carpentry and Wood Turning, here with my buddy Alan Gilbert from darkoakmedia.com. And the uh, ever uh, rascally Max behind the glass. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't call me friend after I openly insulted you. Yeah. Well, there you you go. can call or text us at the Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And, of course, we invite you to go to the must, uh, 
the Tool Talk Radio Facebook page and check out our must-have item of the week, which, uh, I don't know, I'm on the fence. I guess we'll save it till the later in the show. We have to get to it since we teased it, Alan, but boy, we've got a big task ahead of us. We are, if you're just tuning in, we are introducing a new segment, which we've already begun to unpack, called Great Moments in Building History. Mm-hmm. And today we are swinging for the fences. We're talking about the Chicago World's Fair of 1893, which was such a, it, it, if you want an interesting topic, folks, it is just, man, you could spend hours and hours on YouTube going down that rabbit hole um, and learning about all the innovations. Alan, I'm just going to have to bullet point a few things because I know you want to talk about the electrical, uh, the, mm. the what do they call it? The uh, current war. Oh, but before, gosh. I just want to throw a few things out there. <laughs> this introduced shredded wheat. That was where your first game. Hershey's became a a household name Mm -hmm. shortly after this with chocolate bars. This is the first place they had moving sidewalks. The Chicago-style hot dog Um, took place here. Sure. Indoor ice skating. We're talking 1893, Alan. Yes. Refrigerated, you know, making Mm -hmm. it where you could skate indoors. The first all-electric facility. Right. And here's what, this is one I do want to mention because I feel like from an architectural standpoint, we're always talking about things moving. Right. Well, um, what they were basically trying to do is because I don't remember what year the the World's Fair was that they held in Paris, but basically the big centerpiece of Paris was the Eiffel Tower, right? That was the big steel structure that they they constructed and it was basically, and it still stands today, and that Mm. was their... That was their big bragging rights. Well, you know, Americans were competitive. We didn't want to. And they they basically challenged a man uh, named Ferris to out Eiffel Eiffel. Yes. And so instead of just a straight up steel construction that was 20 feet taller than the Eiffel Tower, they wanted something new. And he he invented the Ferris wheel. Yes. This isn't the Ferris wheel we're talking about at, at your local carnival that seats a couple of kids and then, you know, with, a, with five or six cars. This one had 36 cars. Each car yeah. held 60 people. What's the math on that? That's over 2,000. That's a this lot of people. This was huge, yeah, because... It was um, massive, and it was a... You talk about an engineering challenge, and, I mean, it, it could have been dangerous. It And there were people that were saying, you cannot do this. You're going to kill people or whatever, yeah. but they did it. And this this was a engineering triumph, and it was... And now Ferris wheels are everywhere. Yes. Well, I... It, of you know, and it wasn't that long ago because 1889 is was the uh, Paris. So they just yeah they came in. It, four it was years later, it was so. I mean back to back. Right. So uh, Philadelphia did the one in ooh when was that 1876? Right. So Philadelphia had theirs, then went overseas, and you know so it's well. Uh, you know the World's Fair was a huge, massive international competition. Right. For different countries to really, A, host it, B, show off what they could do. Yeah. I also kind of wanted to make note of this in terms of, like, competition, like, in terms of, like, the current war. This is just a fun aside, but, like, the idea, the bids that were submitted between inventors for letting their um, uh, invention light up the fair. Edison submitted a bid of 554000 for his DC current. And Tesla West and Westinghouse submitted a bid of three hundred and ninety nine thousand, which was a lot less, but they still won the bet, which I think is pretty fun. Well, the alternating current, and didn't yep. that set the standard? Because I, I hate to be a jerk, but the more you learn about uh, um, <laughs> Thomas Edison and his business practice, well, I mean, the guy electrocuted an elephant to, to prove his point. He was kind of a dirt, you know. I mean, I'm sorry, he was he was sort of a. 
an underhanded right, businessman. I, I didn't, you know, well, I'm, I'm more in, in Tesla's mind, camp on this stuff. Business, so. business in those days was a lot more bare knuckle than oh, it is yeah. today. It was ugly. I mean, it was even in cereal. Yeah. Like just ma any of that stuff was pretty brutal. It was, yeah. you know, when you actually get the real history behind some of these people, mm -hmm. you know, Tesla started working for Edison. Right. Yeah, he started and then, out, and Edison and, really blew it by burning that bridge. And when, you know, Tesla went to him and said, okay, you know, you promised me this, this, and this when I delivered that, that, and that. And Edison looked at him and goes, oh, well, you apparently don't understand American sense of humor. Right. And Tesla went, apparently I don't, and quit and right. walked off. And uh, Westinghouse found him digging ditches and put him back to work in electricity. Right. Yeah. So welcome to, you know, the Westinghouse Corporation was born out of this. Um, you, you're talking about the, you know, I'm just trying to picture, you know, there was one thing to see a city at night with all the lamps and everything lit up. We, we've seen the movies with Sherlock Holmes and all right. that. But can you imagine people coming in on that train with that city painted white and 100,000 incandescent light bulbs, each glowing individually out of the dark? Well, and, and Alan, people just lost their minds. And it's like, we've, we've seen this. We've had the power go off. You know, the electricity goes off in your house and suddenly right. you got to find every candle that you've got because, right. you know, and we've seen the it's it's an emotional thing it, it it's depressing it's like the right lighting either makes or breaks your mood and suddenly could you imagine you're walking around this city at night it's a it's lit up by electric light and you're like i'm never going back to candle everybody is going to want electric light from this point on and you talk about jump starting a, uh, a a new technology so well and the people that already lived areas that had electricity, like over with Con Ed, with, with Edison, right? of D.C. takes, is very short hops, and it's a lot of wires. Mm -hmm. The thing that truly shocked a lot of people was they had 100,000 light bulbs all strung out across this area, but the sky was not full of wires. Right, right, right. Because That's AC, a good point was one wire for this long string, not like a Christmas wire lights. to each. Right. That's a good point. And yeah, because, you know, when you look at it, that's a good point, Alan. I, I, when you look at the photos, you don't see a bunch of telephone wire or a bunch of, you know, power lines and things like that. And areas, It was very artistically displayed. Right. And areas that had adopted Edison's DC system, the, literally the skyline between buildings right. would be completely covered in wires. Right. So... A lot of people, the people that already saw electricity were shocked there weren't all these wires everywhere. And then all the other people that really weren't blessed with electricity yet were just completely dumbfounded. Right. It's just they so, wanted it. And suddenly all the buzz goes across the country because don't forget, we said half the population of America was at this World 27 Fair. 27 million people came through here to discover juicy fruit gum and electricity. Right. How many people went back to their hometown and they're like, okay, I am now getting in the light bulb business. I'm going to do everything I can to start getting, you know. Now, and, there like was also a lot more here because there were a lot of demonstrations on how stuff was built for this. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot going on at this World Fair. So, yeah, they could show you. How and there were building techniques, you know, where you could come in and they're like going, all right, let me show you guys the new way to raise a barn siding. 
Let me show you some of the new techniques we're using in factories for pre-manufacturing items. You know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I always interrupt. <laughs> when, you go to a, when you go to a convention, one of the things right. we've noticed is if, you, if you're a young artist, you go there and you do a lot of networking and suddenly you go home and all you want to do is start creating art because you've met people that have made a living doing art. Well, right. if you go to the World's Fair, you're going to not only art buildings, but they had the whole engineering segment of yes. this. If you're if you're some business guy and you're like, okay, I didn't even know this technology existed. And now I'm meeting the person that invented it and I'm meeting, I'm seeing applications for it. And this thing really would have just been a, a nuclear bomb of networking going on. I mean, think of all the businesses that were created at the World's Fair and all of the, the well, new innovations and the way people probably started, you know. And we didn't have the telephones right. back then. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have television. So that's the other thing. I, it's hard for people to picture at this point and probably why things like the World's Fair have lost favor in, in the modern world. You didn't have TV. Right. You had never seen this before. Yeah. If if you had never and, and even I'm, taking pictures back then was sort of a rare thing, you know. You well, might you know, get the some picture pictures, was but, there, yeah. but of I'll pick on the World's Fair in of uh, in Philadelphia in 1876, where we we've talked about you you talk about hating vines. Yeah. Well, everybody back then wanted that English garden cottage look. Right. And they were looking for vines, so they had cottages planted with different kinds of vines to give you that look. Right. Different different kinds of plants. And um, they had an ominous one from Japan that was very popular. Do you know what that was? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, A little kudzu. Kudzu. Hey, uh, Alan, can I build on that? Because one of the... Okay, so we should give credit where credit's due. The architects were really, they were, for one thing, they did this in a really small window of time. I want to say they built everything. Yeah. They, they had about a three-year window, but in reality, by the time all the regulations and everything got passed, they about had less, they had about a year and a half, maybe two years max. And one of the, okay, so there was, um, there was John Welbert, John Wellborn Root, mm -hmm. Daniel Burnham, who was sort of the main guy that they talk about in Devil in the White City, Charles Atwood, and then the landscaper was Frederick Law Olmsted. I wonder if he's related to our buddy Brandon Olmsted, but mm. uh, he might be. But the big thing with the reason I was interested in him was, Alan, he went kicking and screaming into this. He did not want to be a part of it because what he said is that he, like, he designed Central Park in New York. Right. He goes, I'm designing things that you won't even see the results for 40 or 50 years because landscaping doesn't just grow overnight. Right. And so the challenge that he was faced with was making some, making an impressive statement with landscaping and you had literally a year to do it. Yep. However, that transitioned into the way landscaping was approached in the suburbs and the way we... we so there was a lot of innovative landscaping techniques that, that are easy to overlook here. But everything, even, you know... As far as like, they this is where they invented spray painting because they had to spray these buildings white. There was just man, I would really encourage people to just look this up because well, there is way more than we can even get. Also to consider this. we didn't have air conditioning, right? Yeah, the all of these buildings were designed to move a lot of people, right, and to move a lot of air, right. So when you look at the design of these buildings, they don't look like buildings we have today where we can rely on of electrical power and now also keep in mind there weren't electrical forklifts and stuff like this this was people power 
This is scaffolds. This is hoist. So when we start talking about, yeah. you know, Mr. Eiffel offered to be, build Chicago a bigger Eiffel Tower. Right. That would have been a whole lot of people and a whole, I mean, imagine building that by hand. See, that's, that's what I was more, I, I'm really fascinated with just the gumption and the whole can-do attitude because this just looks honestly impossible. I know the 1800s weren't that long ago, but still, like, like um, just the height, the stresses, the the fear, the Ferris wheel. I do not see how they built that, honestly, with the technology they had of the day. Because, like I said, folks, this is not this is not your carnival Ferris wheel. Right. This thing is massive. It's huge, and they didn't have carbon fibers and aluminum bolts. And right. They didn't have a lot of the lightweight materials we have now. Right. What you had was a lot of engineering. And let me throw in one other little mind-bending trick. Okay. How many calculators do you think there were floating around this place? Good. Look at all the math they had Look to do at on the, all this um, stuff. When, and that is the one thing people shockingly don't understand about what you and I do. Yeah, we just pull out half, our phone. Half and, of right. what we do is math. Right. That's true. It's now, half of the math I do is with a carpenter pencil on the back of a piece of wood. Right. I need something this big, this big, that angle, this, you know, blah, 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 blah. So we do an amazing amount of math. Picture thousands of craftspeople following. And keep in mind, there's no there's no sending somebody a picture of this on your phone. You got to hike over there or take a horse to if the you, other side of the If you need to see message. the blueprints right. again, you had to walk all the way back up to the blueprint shed. Right. Copy it down on a piece of paper yourself. Go all the way back to your work area and yeah. translate it for your people. Right. And they managed to do this in less than 36 months. Well, I want to mention something else, Alan, because what's fascinating about the whole approach to the World's Fair was this was at a point in history when they were just beginning to invent um, what they call, they call them skyscrapers. These are buildings right. that were technically over, I think, 16 stories was a skyscraper. Well, they, they figured and, out how to put a clutch in an elevator. Right. So these, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So they, so this was at a period when you would think that the sensibilities would be to design this to look as futuristic as possible, but instead what they did is they designed all of these buildings to look very classic. They used classic Roman architecture, yes. and yet they were cutting edge in their technology, which I thought the dichotomy right. is super interesting that you have that aesthetic. It, well, it's just, it's it's very interesting. When we threw in neoclassical, and once again, classical architecture solved a lot of the problems that we're just now confronting again today. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, well, yeah. you know, you got to move a lot of people through here. Well, guess what? They moved a lot of people through Greek amphitheaters. Yeah. Well, yeah. if we got to keep a lot of air flowing, well, you know what? The Romans figured out air and water flow 2,000 years ago that still work today. Right. Yeah. Which is better than we can say for canal projects we dug in 1910. Alan, you just, you just made me think of something. This is a perfect, I didn't plan this, but we were just talking about AstroTurf. In, right. Uh, well, what we, what we saw at the Chicago World's Fair was the perfect blending of, okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. This cl this classic architecture works, yet we're going to incorporate the modern thing. So that's almost the perfect marrying of concepts we were talking about. Yes. You know? So I want to mention uh, one more thing, though, folks. If you get a chance to go to Chicago, there's only one building left that's... Uh, 
part that was part of the World's Fair, mm -hmm. and and today it's known as the Museum of Science and Industry. And I've I've gone there many times growing up um, for field trips, and you know the thing about that place. You don't get a sense of it until you actually go there, how massive it is. You cannot. It's almost physically impossible to go to every exhibit or to see the entire museum. You literally, if you get to see half of it in a day, you're, you're, you're doing pretty well. But, Max, you've been to the Museum of Science and Industry, right? I mean, uh, the most notable thing that I remember when I was a kid that I, I was, I've always been still, I am, have always been I'm a, a big fan of, like, military technology, military history. And one of the things that kind of struck me was the big submarine in there called the U-505. Like, how the heck did they get that <laughs> loaded into the museum? But, yeah, I mean, the build, it's got yeah. airplanes. It's got a submarine. Like, yes. not a cut-in-half submarine. No, no, a whole submarine With inside the building. With exhibit space around it. Yes. You get to go in the submarine. I mean, it's it, it blows your mind how massive and just what a beautiful construction. And it's like you go up the... Uh, you go up the stairs and you and they still have the same handrails from the 1800s mm -hmm. it's it's pretty mind blowing and it uh to me it's always been a shame that they tore all the other buildings down i guess maybe that's just the nature of world fairs it's a temporary thing but i mean it just seems like kind of a waste to me alan but uh well it, it's it's the world fair is meant to be a jump start okay so in the case of chicago uh, there was a lot of competition as to who was going to host the World's Fair that year. So the cities really put their best foot forward and understood they were going to spend, especially in that day and time, a colossal amount of money. It's a it's a huge business it's calculation. It's a huge in business investment. Right. But, all right, so they allocate a massive amount of space for this. In less than 36 months, all of this takes place in six months Half of the country comes through Chicago. Well, and actually, back in the day, you mentioned something else, Alan. The uh, the competition among business people was fierce. And if you if you built the World's Fair, no matter how impressive it was, if it did not turn a profit, you it was it was a humiliation. Yeah. And they did not turn a profit, if I remember correctly, till about a month or two before the fair ended. They finally crossed that wire, and right. so they had that bragging right as well. But Honestly, something this massive, I could see it losing millions and millions of dollars. Easily. I mean, so just, it, it was a triumph in many ways. There were a couple of, uh, there was a fire that happened. One of the buildings had a had some fault with, in the attic with uh, ventilation or whatever. And I think some people died during the construction of it. So, which I guess was not unheard of in those days. So there there was that, but overall, it, it just was a huge triumph in building you know, well, then, then picture what happened immediately after this World's Fair. Right. Look at the sheer explosion in this country between this World's Fair and World War One, Because oh, yeah. so many companies were launched. So many things that we take for granted today were ideas that began taking place. And keep in mind, they were showing off cars. Oh yeah, no. At this, this thing, I, you know, we we have a hard time, but you know, honestly, there was a car display next to a buggy whip display, right? And both <laughs> of them were doing well. And think of the poor buggy whip person yeah. looking around, going, "Okay, how much more time do I well, get for this?" So, the but, you know. the buggy company was the Pontiac company, and they went home with some good ideas. Okay, well, Alan, we could honestly spend <laughs> weeks talking. I would strongly encourage you, folks, if you know nothing about the the World's Fair of eighteen ninety three. Check out the book Devil in the White City. It's Oof, it is it's one, it is book. probably one of my favorite books of all time. 
probably don't let your kids read it. It's 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 not it's tastefully done, but it's it's dealing. It's with a little rough. A, a mass murderer. Yes, uh, you know, among other one things. of America's first serial killers. Right. Yes. But it's a, it is a fascinating story. But if you just want to learn about the the actual nuts and bolts of the World's Fair. Just get, get your popcorn, get on YouTube, and you will go down mm. a rabbit hole that, that that's super informative and, and enjoyable. Well, Alan, we don't want to run out of time uh, before we get to our must-have item of the week. Before we do that, can you briefly tell us what's going on with Dark Oak Media? <laughs> well, briefly with Dark Oak Media right now, uh, what's going on with us is basically us. Okay. We have been out on location for, honestly, weeks at yeah, a you time. weeks and, of material. Uh, so you guys can listen to us, have a great time at the air show. That's the that's the funnest one so far. Okay. Uh, DarkOakMedia.com. Mm -hmm. And real quickly, if you've got a deck or a patio cover or a pergola, anything made out of wood for the outside of your home, Give me a call directly at 901-921-7105. All right, Alan, we have just enough time to get to our must-have item of the week. And uh, Ta -da! it's you as were... basic as you can get. However, we never overlook the obvious Oh, my here. gosh, the tool bag. Tell people what I'm holding up. Oh it's a specific. It's well, a specific this is item. the cloth or canvas of a tool bag that goes around your waist. Yeah, I, it's a tool belt. That, um, oh and and it, what I like is they're modular these days. If you want... If you want just a simple, basic one, uh, or if you want to add on the uh, the tape measure mm -hmm. holder, if you want to add on the, uh, you know, you you can get it in different pieces. But I'm a big fan of the canvas tool bag because it breathes. You can wash it if you need to, and it's lighter weight and comfortable. And I, hey, I didn't have to kill a cow to get one, Ellen. Well, you know, if the cow's dead, I'm not going to waste it. Okay, you know so what that, I mean? that's pretty basic. <laughs> but uh, folks, we want to just remind you if you've got, uh, we, you know. We want more uh, input from our listeners, and especially now that we're going to be unpacking some of these, uh, you know, great moments in building history. Mm -hmm. Get in touch with us. You can call call or text any day of the week at a Big M Roofing and Remodeling Hotline at 901-683-0989. And you can always interact with us at the Tool Talk Radio Facebook page as well. So, well, and I just, I, I wish we had four hours today, but what we are you going to do? easily. But the clock waits for no man, so it's time to get out of here. So on behalf of my buddy Alan Gilbreth and our pal Max over there behind the glass, I'm Joe Thorderson. Thanks for listening to Tool Talk Radio, and we'll see you next week.